pray God's blessing upon you and yours during this time period. I know there can be ups and downs, highs and lows, but I'll tell you what, Christ is born. Amen. And we're going to celebrate it and thank God for his great grace upon us today. I want to thank each of you for being here. I wanted to kind of give honor to whom honor is due for two things before we read a couple passages of Scripture, two verses for our Scripture text today. First of all, last uh, Monday or Tuesday, I had the privilege of getting in the church van with uh, five of uh, the most precious ladies from our church family in journey to Russellville, where we went to the Teen Challenge Women's Unit. Those ladies that were here with us just a couple weeks ago, and they ministered so graciously to us. So you would be so proud of the five ladies that were able to go and uh, minister to them. And they brought gifts from this church family that you helped purchase and pay for and just left a blessing. They ministered the love of God, and we're looking forward to other opportunities in the not-too-distant future. But I wanted to commend them today and say, God bless you. It was, a, it was an honor to be there with them. Secondly, I thank God for each and every one of you. It's a little loud for me on the platform, just a little bit. Um, for each and every one of you here today, but I also want to always say God bless you to Dr. Brassfield and Sister Kathy who are in service with us today from traveling around the world. It's good to always see them and they journey here back home to Heber Springs. So we're going to be in two passages of Scripture. We're going to be in Matthew chapter number 1 where we'll read one verse of Scripture. We'll be in Luke chapter number 2 where we'll read another verse of Scripture. Once you have found Matthew 1 and 18, you can stand and honor the reading of Scripture. You don't have to look too far for it because it's right on the screen in front of you. Actually, we're simply going to kind of not read the entire... Well, we'll read it. It says the 18th verse. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. King James English. Other translations, these are the circumstances that surround the birth of Jesus. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now I'd like to turn over to Luke's gospel, to the second chapter. That's the beginning of the story, and this is the culmination of the story. It's the 40th verse. It says here, it's a familiar verse to me, one that I've quoted many times in days gone by for personal application, but today in its true context it is applied to this child Jesus. The 40th verse says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And today I want to share with you uh, something that I believe God has laid upon my heart to do with you today, and that is we're going to attempt to take these two accounts of Matthew and Luke's Gospels and harmonize the narrative of Jesus' birth. We're going to do our very best that when we walk away from here today, you're going to be able to have followed the trail, followed the trail from that original word, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise until when that child began to grow and be prepared for the ministry that God had uniquely called him for. Now, it's been my prayer all week that, that preaching would come easy today. It's been my prayer that we're going to bring the worship team back and sing another song at the end and, and have an invitation uh, at the end today as well. But I believe that God has uh, his hand on this service. We've already experienced his presence, and his presence shapes us, marks us. But I don't believe he's finished. I believe God wants preaching to impact your life today. I really do. 
I, I want you to grasp these things and hold them dearly. You know, the Bible says Mary pondered these things, hid them in her heart. That's what we need to do. Hide these in our heart and ponder them. So let's pray and ask God to bless this attempt to harmonize the narrative of Jesus' birth. Father, I love you. Humble today, God, to be in this house among such gracious people. We are so thankful for, first of all, again, the gifts and talents of all those that were on the platform, both in, in musical ability and in song, God, that have blessed us and brought us into your presence. And now, Father, I pray that there would be uh, the heart of Mary, not that Mary we just, uh, Father, sung about, but that Mary that knelt at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. God, put that kind of spirit in us today that we will not be easily distracted, but our, Father, we can be, uh, Father, affixed upon the things that you have for us today, God. I pray, Lord, again, let, Father, the Holy Spirit put an anointing upon not only me to communicate truth, but also our church family to hear truth and receive it today. So in Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Thank you and you can be seated. I want to take just a little bit real quickly to set a groundwork for while on a journey with you today. First of all, when you have what we call special days, pastorally speaking, it creates for us unique um, challenges pastorally to take something that is very familiar and to search for ways to make it in such a way that it's relevant to you and something that can bring inspiration to you, especially if it is something that's... Uh, you know, previously very familiar to you. Now, the reality is, personally, I'm not a very creative person. I'm not creative in design. I'm not created in, creative in er, other areas. Uh, in preaching, follow suit with this. Um, I'm not necessarily a creative pastor. I don't have that ability to always spin texts and look at them from different particular angles. I don't have some of those abilities that some of the uh, pastors that I see in here today do. What I am is I'm an information Pastor, I'm a doctrinal pastor. I believe that that faith gains its strength from the Word of God, and I believe that your faith, you know, add to you know virtue knowledge. And so you got to have a word. You got to get into the Word. And so there, God can give us a doctrine, or He can give us a revelation. And so today, I'm just going to stick to what I know to, to what I'm most comfortable with, and I'm, all, I'm not going to go into Christian traditions today. I'm not going to look at various symbolism from poinsettias to trees and lights and, and mistletoes and all those things that have become a part of Christmas traditions. That's been done. I've done it, and you've heard it in days gone by. I'm not going to make this a political sermon today. I'm not going to stand up and shout from this pulpit about why the world seems to be encroaching upon our freedoms of celebrating Christmas. I'm not going to necessarily go there. Today, I'm just going to just lock down this familiar path and just go down this familiar road and just see if God can add his blessing to it and add his uh, anointing to it. Now, as we just kind of take for just a moment, the four gospel writers unique to us is that only two of the four gospel writers actually share the story of Jesus' birth. The other two begin kind of right in the heart of either Jesus' ministry or the ministry of John the Baptist. And so, but as we note this, let's note for a moment of time the two gospel writers and their unique writing styles. It's important that you note this because as you study, you'll see this uh, evolve in front of your eyes. First of all, Matthew was writing primarily to an exclusively Jewish audience. The original recipients of the letter 
the gospel letter would be Jews. And so therefore, the uh, apostle set his heart to convince those Jewish brothers who were, uh, who were students of the law of Moses that Jesus was the fulfillment of those ancient prophecies. Matthew, in his gospel, 28 chapters, quotes 130 times from the ancient writers so that he could convince those listening and reading and hearing this for the very first time that Jesus had fulfilled all of those ancient prophecies. We see that in his gospel, in his record of the Christmas narrative. In the first and second chapter, he quotes five times from the Old Testament scriptures affirming that Jesus was the promised child who would come and that would bear upon his shoulders the government. Now Luke, on the other hand, is writing primarily to a Gentile audience. And so therefore he emphasizes the perfect humanity of the Son of Man. He builds the gospel narrative on the platform of historical reliability. His emphasis is on chronological and historical accuracy and it makes his gospel the most comprehensive. My desire today is to somehow harmonize these two accounts into one Christmas narrative. And thus, as Matthew wrote in his chapter 1 verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. The story of Jesus' birth actually began, if you want to be honest in this context, not with the appearance of the angel Gabriel unto Mary, but it began with the appearance of the angel Gabriel into the ho- in the holy place when an aged priest by the name of Zecharias of the Aaronic priesthood had received the lot that allowed him, even in his aged condition, the opportunity to go into the holy place and burn incense on the golden altar. They had enough priests that, that everyone didn't serve in the temple continually. They would dwell in their own homelands. His homeland was in the hill country of Judah. But his, it was his time to be at the the temple. It was his time for his duty. The lot had fallen upon him to allow him a sacred responsibility to go into the holy place and stand adjacent to the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place and bring incense and bring and burn it on the golden altar. Others stood outside worshiping as this aged priest went inside with the incense and poured it upon the gold on the coals that 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 brought up a prayer and praise in essence into the presence of God. When suddenly This aged priest is confronted by the brilliance of an angel of God. And Gabriel appears to him and says these words to him. He says, Zechariah, your prayer is heard. And I know I've shared this many times, a prayer that Zechariah had forgotten that he had prayed, that he and his wife would have a child. He's an aged man, a prayer that was long since prayed and now has in his mind slipped into obscurity because he now no longer has the ability of the natural realm to produce children. But the scripture says, says that God had not forgotten that prayer that he had prayed. I'm telling you, God stores up things, and you've got to be aware of this, church family. God puts some things on the shelf, and when he gets ready, he'll open it back up and listen to it one more time. And sometimes we give up on some promises that we need to be reminded of that God hadn't given up on. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so Zechariah is confronted and he said, God's heard your prayer. Your wife's going to have a child and he's going to be strong in the Lord. He's going to be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. He's going to neither drink wine or strong drink. He's going to be a Nazarene from his birth and he's going to be filled with the power of God. Now we know the story that, he, that, that Zechariah stumbles a little bit because he had forgotten that prayer that he prayed. And how can this be? I'm an old man. My wife's womb does not have life in it. And so he therefore was 
smitten, his tongue was muted by the angel because he did not believe the word of the Lord. And he went out of the holy place unable to speak and share with the people the vision that he had seen and the angel that had appeared unto him. And he went back to his house. And, and then the Bible says there, while there, his wife did conceive. And she hid her pregnancy for five months, not telling anybody about it. And then the Bible picks up the story again a little bit further. That same angel in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy is sent to, to Nazareth to a young girl by the name of Mary. And this story is very familiar in the words. I think we should just kind of echo these words today because he said this to her. The, the angel came in unto her and said these words, Hail thou who art highly favored, for the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and she cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And thou, sh and, and listen to this, and he said, and, and, and the angel said unto her, Fear not, you have found favor with God. Behold, you shall conceive in your womb, and you're going to bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give unto him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Glory to God. Now, when Mary heard those words, uh, she asked a question. It differs from the, uh, the intent of the question asked by Zechariah, though it looks comparable, because she too asked, how shall this be? For I know not a man. It was not in unbelief that she asked the question. It was, a, it was an accurate question to ask, and the angel made a promise to her. He said that the Holy Ghost is going to come upon thee, and the power of the highest is going to overshadow thee. Therefore, the holy thing which shall be be born of thee shall be called the son of God. And he said, now listen to this, and behold, remember your cousin Elizabeth, in her old age, she too has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who had been called barren. For listen what the words of the angel, they're just as relevant today as where they were whispered in that room in that Nazareth village long years ago. For with God, I don't know what you're going through today, but the angel said these words, but with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, listen to these words, Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me even as thou wilt. And when she said those words, I believe at that moment, the very same power that we see in Genesis 1 hovering over the earth, bringing the confusion of an unformed earth into its articulate beauty, at that moment, that same invisible power hovered over the virginal womb of Mary and the life of God, he that was from the beginning, the great I am suddenly was shrouded in flesh and was lodged inside her womb. Glory to God. What amazing account that we see captured in Scripture. And the Bible says that she immediately rose up and she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And you and I would too if you heard about aged Elizabeth having a baby and she went to see and to check this thing out. Now I've said this before and I'll just remind you of it again. Again, Christian tradition says that one of the reasons why that Elizabeth 
had hid her pregnancy for six months is because that she had never felt movement from within her womb. Whether that's the case or not, we don't know by biblical accuracy, but by Christian tradition. Until that fateful day that Mary is outside of the, her home knocking and crying in uh, the doorway as she knocks on the wooden door and says, Cousin Elizabeth, Cousin Elizabeth, and when the life that's in her flows through her vocal cords and goes in through the ears of Elizabeth and goes all the way down into the womb where she's not felt any movement, then that John that's on the inside of her, that prophet from on high filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb leaps up on the inside of her at the sound of her salutation. And when John got full of the Holy Ghost, Elizabeth got full of the Holy Ghost and she begins to worship God and she's celebrating about the life that's in her and the life that's in Mary and then Mary gets full of the Holy Ghost and she begins to prophesy and everybody's fallen out into the power of the Holy Spirit because the Christ is in the earth. Oh my God, let the Christ be in our midst today for we too shall prophesy and be filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Hallelujah. And she stayed there for three months until right at the time of the birth of John. I don't know whether she stayed until the time of his birth or just prior to his birth, but she returns to Nazareth. And this is where the story takes a unique twist because it's upon her return. Matthew's picking the story up now. And he says, before that Joseph, who was a spouse to Mary, before they came together, she was found to be with child. Can you picture what this would look like? She's gone for three months. She comes back. He believes she's played the harlot. Joseph's heart is torn. He's wounded. He's devastated. He's planned his whole life around her. He's hastened this day. The Bible says in Matthew's gospel, he's a just man. He's thinking of a way not to put her to an open shame, not to publicly humiliate her. He goes to bed at night thinking upon this. I'm sure it was upon his brow all the day long, every day. But on this night, as he closes his, his eyes in, in a restless sleep, the very angel that had been appearing to Zecharias and also appearing to Mary appears to him in a dream and says, Fear not to take unto you, Joseph, Mary, to be your wife, for that thing which is conceived inside of her is conceived of the Holy Ghost. And she's going to bring forth a son and you're going to call his name Jesus. And listen what the angel put a tag. It's an addendum. I love that expression here. He said, he said, not, he said not only as he said earlier, he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord, but he said this. He said, he shall save his people from their sins. Hallelujah. And so Joseph awoke, brow all beaded up with sweat, heart and pulse uh, uh, heightened. Uh, and the Bible says that he took her to, unto himself to be his wife. But he knew her not until she brought forth her firstborn son. Now Mary... The story progresses, becomes great with child. She gets nigh to the date of her delivery. When their little quaint Nazarite village is interrupted by the sound of a Roman courier, on horseback most likely. Coming up to the gate of the city, he would nail a scroll, first reading it to the elders at the gate, that Caesar Augustus has, de has, has declared a tax. A heavily taxed people are taxed again a tax that would also include a census. 
and that every person would have to journey to the land or the home or the city of their distinct heritage and there be registered and there pay a tax to a Roman emperor that they despised in their heart. What a heavy burden it was. It's a 70-mile journey that Mary and Joseph would be forced to make as she's great with child over a very rugged terrain to the southern side of Jerusalem to a little village called Bethlehem. Bethlehem was famous because it was the birthplace and it was the hometown of Israel's most famous king, King David, who came from Bethlehem. But many knew that a prophecy had been written by Micah that Bethlehem would gain new splendor when a new king would be born, a king who would supersede the exploits of David, a king of kings and a lord of lords, a king who would do more than kill a giant named Goliath, but a king who would pay the penalty for sins that no man could pay except for he himself and would descend into the lower parts of the earth and there defeat mankind's eternal enemy, Satan, and arrive and, and arise three days later with the, with, the, with the keys in his hand as triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. That king, the king of kings, was promised to be born in the city of Bethlehem. And you are familiar with the story that while there, Mary would give birth. And not in the inn because the Bible says there was no room for the inn. But the preacher preached last year at this time that most likely, very possibly, that, that there was a birthing place just north of town in a watchtower that was in the precincts of the city. But it would just be off of the road from Bethlehem northward towards Jerusalem that the priesthood had set apart as a place for sacrificial lambs to be birthed. It was called Migdal Adar and it was there that the place was ceremoniously cleaned by the priest and it was there because there was no room for them at the end that Mary and Joseph and Mary would bring forth her firstborn son. She would wrap him in swaddling clothes and she would place him in a manger, a manger that had held sacrifice after sacrificial lamb after sacrificial lamb. But now the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world is in that place as if God was saying from the very beginning, this little child, this is the Lamb of God that is born to die on the road from Bethlehem to Jerusalem for the lifeblood of Christ would be spilled on the cross of Calvary for us. It was there in that famed city, the house of bread, the city of David, that she would give birth to Jesus. Shepherds were watching their flocks in the field at night when suddenly an angel of God appears, illuminating the darkness with the glory of the Lord, announcing that a Savior has has been born. And so they quickly rise up and they go to Bethlehem to see the child and they find him there wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. And the shepherds, when they see all of these things, they're so moved in their heart that they go around and they begin to tell everybody the things that they have seen and heard. Well, guess what? There's some shepherds in this room today that we're moved by the things that we have seen or heard and we have got to tell the people around us about the marvelous birth of this little child called Jesus who was born and placed in a manger but one day would die on a cross so that you and I would have access to God's eternal mercy and grace. We got to tell people about him too. Glory to God. Eight days after his birth, Joseph and Mary would go to Jerusalem 
to present their child in the temple. They're still dwelling in Bethlehem. Much of the crowd has dissipated. Those have paid their tax and journeyed back to their own homelands. But they would go in fulfillment of the Mosaic law that on the eighth day the child would be brought and he would be named and he would be pre uh, presented unto the Lord and, and a sacrifice would be made. And if you didn't have money for a lamb, you could buy two turtle doves or two pigeons. And they chose two turtle doves and they offered it sacrificially on behalf of the Lamb of God. And there was an eight man by the name of Simeon and Simeon had been longing and waiting and anticipating the coming of the Messiah and God had promised him in his visions and his dreams that he would not die, he would not depart until he had seen the Lord's Christ with his own eyes and when he saw Mary and Joseph coming into the outer precincts of the courtyard of the temple that day, the Bible says that he caught that child, took, her from his, took him from her arms and he held him close and said this is the child that God has prophesied would come and redeem Israel. And I love the words that he said that, that Simeon prophesied on that fateful day. He said, this is a child that will light, the, it will be a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. I love that passage and that prophecy so much because it kind of connects to the teachings of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 when it says that through Christ, God has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. God has brought Jew and Gentile together into one new body in Christ Jesus and from that prophetical word a light that would lighten the Gentiles see we were a people without hope we were a people without the knowledge of God we were a people without the scriptures but God so loved us that he opened his family up to include even the Gentiles and welcome them into his eternal family Mary and Joseph would return to Bethlehem finding a house to stay in the crowds from the census have now subsided. They're waiting at least through the 40th day for Mary to make another trip back to Jerusalem where there would be an offering made on her behalf to fulfill the ritual cleansing. Perhaps they would even stay longer. We don't know what's in their minds. Maybe they're reluctant to go back to Nazareth. Maybe the pressure of, of many considering Mary having child out of wedlock. Maybe they didn't want to go back to Nazareth, but they're still dwelling in Bethlehem. But here's something I want you to see. That when that angel announced the birth of Jesus, when that angel's brilliant light illuminated the darkened night sky, the brilliance of that light was so great that there were astrologers in the area of Persia, which is now modern-day Iran, that saw the brilliance of that light, perceiving it to be a star from afar. See, stars and angels sometimes, if you read the scriptures, uh, the seven stars in thy hand are seven angels. And when that angel's brilliant light illuminated the darkness of the night, it was saw in the heavenlies by a group of astrologers who were watching the stars for signs, prophetical signs from the gods. And they perceived it to be a message that, that they perceived it to be a message that the king of the Jews had been born. And so they began a long journey that would take them from that region of Iran and make their journey down to Jerusalem. They didn't know exactly where to go, so they went to the capital city and they approached King Herod. And they came to King Herod and they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And so King Herod, uh, the, the, the brutal monarch, the despotic monarch, uh, he gathers the chief priests and the scribes together and he's aware of the scriptures, though he does not follow the scriptures nor believe in the scriptures. He said, tell me in your scriptures, where is this child? 
child to be born. And they quote from the prophet Micah and say that in Bethlehem, in Bethlehem is a governor who would rule the people of Israel. And Herod says, go and journey and make this journey. Bethlehem's just south of the city, just a few miles. Go and search for the child. And when you have found the child, send word back to me because I want to go and worship the child. And the scripture says that the Magi then left. And when they left Herod's palace and they left the city of Jerusalem, that star that they had seen months, perhaps even years earlier in the night sky, once again reappears. And when he reappears, the Bible says that they rejoice with exceeding great joy because that star, that angel, begins to lead them through the darkness until it sits right over the house where the young child is. They go into the house and there they see Mary with the baby Jesus. And the Bible says that they fall down and they pay homage to who this is he they believe is king of the Jews. And so therefore they brought gifts to pray to pay honor to this great king that they believe is being prophesied that has been born. And they open first go. What they don't know is that the gifts that they bring are prophetical of the life and the ministry of this great king. First they give him gold which does recognize that he is a king. But they also give him frankincense because he is not only a king but he is a priest. He is not a priest in the earthly realm but in the heavenly realm. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He, matter of fact he ever lives to intercede for you and I. Right now he's a priest that's mediating between you and I. Between our unrighteousness, unholiness and our sinfulness is one man, the man Christ Jesus who mediates between the judgment of God and our sin and has welcomed us into God's eternal family. So he receives frankincense and then they also give him a gift, the gift of myrrh. Myrrh was an embalming ointment and it was as if God was once again signifying that this child was born to die. The Bible says Mary ponders all these things in her heart. The Magi stay for at least a day because the night falls, they go to sleep and in their sleep, their sleep is interrupted by an angel and an angel warns them, don't go back, don't go back to the way that you have came because Herod will seek the child to destroy the child so they go another way. A few days pass, Herod receives word that he's mocked of the wise men. And so in his anger and in his hatred and in his envy and his jealousy, he sends his soldiers on a few short mile journey south of the city with spear and with swords in their hand to kill every male child inside the city, two years old and younger from the time that they had inquired, he had inquired of the wise men of when they had seen the star in the sky. Can you imagine what that was like? Young mothers. We see it today. We hear reports, ISIS, things going on that cause us to cringe. Reality to those beautiful people in Bethlehem. Mothers that had just perhaps months or less than two years earlier, gone to the temple to present this little child unto the Lord, to recognize it was given by the Lord and was being rededicated unto the Lord. Now a Roman soldier bursts into their house with a spear and with a knife and takes its life from it in a brutal murder by the, by the despotic monarch. But God had protected his child. And the night before the decree came, he had awoken Joseph. And he said, Joseph, get up. Get up right now. Right now. Don't wait for the sun to crest the newborn day. Get up right now and take the little infant and go. Take the child and get out or Herod will take his life. 
And he said, go to Egypt and there remain until I send word. He remains there. They remain there, the family, until word is sent to them that Herod has has died and they return back to the land of Israel. And that all happened, church family, for the purpose of fulfilling a prophetic word out of Egypt have I called my son. When they drew near to, uh, to Israel again, they thought, well, let's resettle in Bethlehem. But then when they found out the son of Herod did rule that area as well, they chose not to go back to that particular era, area. And they said, let's go back to Nazareth. That too fulfilled a prophetical word. He shall be called a Nazarene. And then Luke concludes this brief narrative that I have very quickly today attempted to harmonize in those 40, that 40th verse of the second chapter. And the child grew, waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now today, to conclude, I want to share with you a few thoughts very quickly before we dismiss. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come back. I want to make a few observations about this narrative that you and I have read It's familiar to you. You've read it and you've witnessed it in video. I've done my very best in a brief manner to take both Matthew and Luke's narrative and somehow arrange it chronologically the way that it seems that it actually played out in front of our eyes. But I want to make a couple of notes just real quickly today just to drop down in your spirit about this most famous of stories. Number one. God has a plan. Come on, somebody. God has a plan. This story tells me God has a plan. God moved whatever he needed to move to bring his plan to pass. And you sit here in your life and think that there's chaos on it. I'm telling you, God, when he gets ready to work out all things after the counsel of his own will, get ready. God will move whoever and whatever he needs to to bring his plan to pass in your life. Don't give up. All is not lost. Number two today, real quickly, God can even move pagans or heathens to accomplish his divine will and purpose. God used pagan people to thrust Joseph and Mary into their divine destiny. God used pagan people to bless them to accomplish their divine destiny. God can use anybody to put his favor and grace upon your life. Come on now, God can bless you in the midst of the most difficult of situations and use anybody to do it. Number three, God's people often suffer great trial and hardship. That's the reality. I know during Christmas season sometimes you're at the most difficult place of your life. The reality is in this world there's tribulation, there's trial, there are seasons of sorrow, seasons of mourning. This story reminds me that just because we're children of God does not mean that that we won't face seasons of trial and hardship. We do. Come on, now let's be honest. You've walked through the valley of the shadow of death. You've faced that sickness or you've wrestled with that, that emotional pain from a loved one that has, has hurt you. But let me tell you, this story reminds me that God is faithful. God is faithful. He'll keep you in the midst of trial if you'll just trust him. He is faithful today. Number four, the message of Jesus' birth brings hope to many in the midst of great trial and suffering. Come on, they were living in a day of the brutal fist of Rome was squeezing the life stream of the people of Israel. 
But that angel announced that this is a message of great joy, hope. A Savior has been born. A Redeemer is, uh, has been born. Well, let me tell you today, that little child that became that king was not an earthly king. He was a heavenly king, but one day he'll be an earthly king. He didn't rule on a throne the first advent, but we believe with all of our hearts there will come a day, there will come an hour when he really will rule from the throne of his father David. And that brings us great hope in the midst of the trial and suffering that many are enduring around the world. Number five today, all do not rejoice at the announcement of his birth. Not everybody gets excited when you say Merry Christmas. Not everybody says, well, I'm going to follow Christ. Some people shunned this message. Some people laughed at this message. Some people didn't believe that message. But look at number six real quickly. Their unbelief does not change the message to all people. It's a message to all people, despite their unbelief, despite their, their unwillingness to recognize that Christ has been born, Christ is the Savior. The message is of great joy. It's true today. It was true then. He's a Savior. He's a Deliverer. It's great news. It's great joy to all people, and their unbelief doesn't change it at all. Glory to God. Number seven today, as you stand up. Number seven today, this story tells me that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is with us today. Christ incarnate amongst men. He dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Is he with you today? He can be. He's as near as a prayer away. If you'll just call upon the name of the Lord, he'll draw near to you today. He'll receive you if you'll just come unto him. Sing this song with us today as we worship Emmanuel in this house today and let's bless his name.